everyone. Thank you for joining us online here at Destiny. If you haven't had a chance to visit our campus, we would love for you to come out to either our 9.30 or 11.30 service on Sunday. But if you can't, you can always watch us online here at destinyokc.com. And while you're there, you can look up any past messages, see any of our upcoming events, and read pastor's blogs. Also, be sure to follow us on social media right here. And now, here's this week's message. Come on, in this atmosphere of worship, let's embrace the reading of the Word for the primary text that we'll be looking at today out of the book of Jonah. Now, I just ask you, really, let's plan and practice to engage our hurts when we're reading Scripture. I keep drilling into this, but I just encourage you in your personal time, in your devotion, something's happened in my personal time in Scripture. It's just a deeper layer has begun to take place. There's a sense of faith and expectation when I open God's Word that I'm not just reading a book of positivity. I'm encountering the author of this book by His Spirit that exists within us. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Has anyone ever been in a place of despair, <laughs> a place of difficulty, a place of wondering, is God even uh, able to draw me out of this? Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and all the way to verse 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. <laughs> Listen to this. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish. Has anyone here ever been praying and you just feel like God wasn't speaking to you when you were praying? I want to just encourage you, take heart. Sometimes he may not be speaking to you. He might be speaking to your breakthrough. God is able to reach into every situation that may be trying to hold you back, even when you feel like it may not be something he's saying to you. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Lord, would you help us to understand the deeper realities of God and the way we gather and the way we break bread over your word and the way we form friendships and the way we interact and exchange with each other. Ultimately, Lord, in the way that we discern what you're revealing deep within who we are. We are the sons and daughters of God in the earth. Your word is nourishment to our lives. We just receive your presence in a special, unique, marvelous, and wonderful way as a result of our gathering together and sharing in your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I hope you're expecting. I really sense um, today is uh, uniquely significant for all of us. And so uh, why don't you be seated? And those of you online are probably ahead of us. You're probably already seated. <clears throat> Glad to have you with us on campus, online, on our online campus working to explore what all that 
uh, is to look like in this next season and just some exciting things are uh, emerging as we continue to walk all of that out. <clears throat> so last week, we talked about Wikipedia Christianity. And I shared Newpedia, and uh, most of us have no idea what that is, and I would encourage you to go back and hear the message because it was, um, it's really a foundation for what I feel like the Lord is asking me to address this week. We had a different plan for this Sunday, um, but there's been a disruption to that plan. How many of you know God's able to disrupt any plan he wants? And so... Uh, Wikipedia Christianity is where there began to be this mobilization of people who had passions and interests, like normal, simple, average, ordinary, everyday people like us. And this explosion took place as people in their own hunger and their own passion um, began to research different concepts and ideas, and they submitted their ideas to online editors, and those online editors approved or declined or adjusted, and uh, Wikipedia was born, and more than 20,000 articles posted in the course of three years. It's amazing. It's like fire broke out once people were truly mobilized <clears throat> in an amazing way. Uh, I can tell I'm going to need a tissue, and I'm looking for the tissue box. So uh, if somebody could just throw a tissue box at me when you get a chance, I would appreciate it. I, I can catch. Um, so the book of Acts, well, thank you, Rosalia. The book of Acts is Wikipedia Christianity. It's September, by the way. Seasons are changing. Has anybody noticed? Look. Wow. So, um, Wikipedia Christianity is the mobilization of everyday, average, ordinary believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power to declare the Word of God boldly in their own unique expression of each of their framework and context of where they exist, where they work, where they serve, where they would walk, where they would shop. And there was this incredible awakening of the church being mobilized as a result of the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God's will for you to know the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit in your everyday, ordinary, common, full of the power of God life. Amen. It's God's plan. And so there, there's such a unique expression of that last week. So again, I, I just reiterate, catch that message to, to really get the essence of this because what I felt like when the Lord was showing me this and, and just praying further into it in the book of Acts, all of a sudden these uneducated, or uneducated, un, uh, uneducated ordinary men who couldn't pronounce ordinary very well, um, they were, they'd been with Jesus. They knew they hadn't been educated. They weren't really equipped or prepared religiously to do the things that the religious leaders of their day were doing. But because they'd been with Jesus, all of a sudden they took note. They were turning their world upside down. So you and I are to spend time with Jesus and turn our worlds upside down. And I believe there's a mobilization of the church in this hour of the church that is a very unique revelation God is breathing into the body of Christ. It's happening all over the place more and more and more and more. The more I'm talking with people and leaders and movements, the more I'm hearing this conversation begin to emerge. And this is, this is what I want to address today and talk about today. For all of us here, for all of us online, for anybody else that will be listening to this later when God begins to mobilize the church, 
to step out into places of ministry, influence, and expression that all of us would discover. One of the greatest tactics and tools of the enemy to try and shut you down is a spirit of disqualification that would cause you to feel like you are not good enough to be used by God. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that way. Can I just see? Hold them up there for a moment. Look around. We are in good company. It's this feeling of maybe I'm not good enough to be used by God, which is really not even the question that we should be asking because you're only good because of the blood of Jesus, not because of the behavior you've ever done. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your behavior. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful news? So, so we need to just break this sense of disqualification. And today I just felt the Lord was saying he's going to cancel that spirit of shame that would hold so many people back in the way we're going to walk some of this out. So I'm just believing for that. Can I just get you to engage your faith? And we agree for that in Jesus' mighty name. We agree for that today. So many people um, don't understand actually the purpose of their past and even the, the use of their mistakes. Most people can identify with mistakes of their past being a voice that tries to disqualify everything God wants to do in their future. Most people can, can comprehend that. If you've made mistakes and you've lived there for any season of your life, uh, then you know exactly what I'm talking about and what that gnaws at deep within you. And I, I just think it's key that we understand God never hides any of the mistakes of the great heroes of Scripture right there in the Bible, unlike other religions. Have you noticed this? Other religions try to hide the mistakes of their heroes. The Bible doesn't, not only does the Bible not try to hide the mistakes of our Bible heroes, it actually points them out on purpose. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Uh, there's, there's something here we're seeing about the heart and the nature of God. And so God's not wanting you to hide the mistakes of your past. He's actually wanting you to point to the mistakes of your past so that you can give God glory for transforming your life out of where you used to be into where you're going to be because you're standing in this place of transformation between those two. There's your history and there's your destiny. And we're between those two in the process of becoming more of who he's designed us to be. And today, I believe we're all going to take a few steps forward in Jesus' mighty name. So, a few days after Jesus is crucified, he appears on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to think about it. They've all watched him die. Peter's denied him. You know, everything has taken place. He's been buried. Now, the, the tomb is empty. And all of a sudden, now, Jesus shows up, and his disciples are fishing. So, he's on the beach, and the disciples are fishing. Peter who denied him, is the first to recognize him, jumps out of the boat and starts ambitiously swimming because he wants to get to him uh, before the other disciples perhaps in the boat uh, turns to follow him and they all arrive on this shore, on this beach line where Jesus is and this is where we find the story in John chapter 21, verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. This is really important. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, I've learned uh, just in my study of the word that there are specific details highlighted in scripture that many times we miss. 
I've said before, and, and I've heard it said often, the Old Testament is richly furnished and dimly lit. And when you explore under the light of the Lord, he reveals so very much. But I've learned it's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament as well. Certainly the Old Testament, uh, amazingly so, because of all the type shadows and expressions of that which was to come in the New Testament. Once again, turn the page, read your Bible, Jesus in the Bible, Destiny OKC, forward slash Jesus in the Bible, 66 sermons waiting for you, each book of the Bible, listen to how Jesus is uniquely revealed, the shadows in Scripture in every single book of the Bible. It's fascinating. We went through that season of time for about a year and a half as a church family to explore that, and those are available to encourage people just to go deeper in the Word. Here's a really unique point, and when I was reading this, I realized it was pretty specific. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. What is this fire of burning coals? And so there's a Greek word, you know, the New Testament's written in the Greek language, and there's a Greek word that translates fire of burning coals, and it's only found one other time in Scripture. So two times we see this specific type of fire burning with coals listed in Scripture. So here we've read the first one. If we go three chapters earlier, we'll see where this is also listed in Scripture in John chapter 18, verses 17 to 18. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Here's Peter denying Christ. Verse 18, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. There's that word. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Peter denies Christ just hours after pledging his devotion and his willingness to die himself before he would ever deny Christ. He denies Christ, and here he stands by this charcoal fire, John 18, 18. So the thing I want to point out today, and it's pretty important, I think, for all of us to comprehend just the way God works and functions in all of our lives, because of the way our brain processes information, you may not even realize it, but your sense of smell is one of the most powerful memory triggers that exists in your physical senses. It triggers so much, like Thanksgiving meal, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an aroma trigger that takes place when you smell that cooking in the house. Uh, how many of you have ever had um, a neighbor fire up the barbecue and you could immediately, I mean, it is such a unique spell, smell, isn't it? And you suddenly want burgers. I mean, uh, suddenly, you know, it just happens. It's a memory trigger. This sense of smell is a phenomenal memory trigger. This sense of smell is a phenomenal memory trigger. And Peter is greeted on the shores of Galilee with the scent of, the most, of one of the most shameful memories of his life. Peter is greeted on the shores of Galilee with God having purpose, one of the most powerful memory triggers that exists in humanity to trigger as he comes up on that shore. Here's Jesus. A fire 
of burning coals. And Jesus' purpose was not to rub anything in his face. Jesus' purpose was to break a spirit of shame, take him right back to that moment where he stood and say, Peter, I love you. I'm going to redeem you. And he did it in a really unique and marvelous way. But let me just say this. God is so amazing that he turns the times you stumble into a beautiful dance designed to inspire the lives of other people. This Jesus that Peter denied stoking this charcoal fire on a cold beach. Been a great time for a lecture. How many of you agree? Oh, Peter. Jesus didn't give him a lecture. It would have been a really good time for correction or rebuke. Jesus didn't give him any correction. Jesus didn't give him any rebuke. He simply looks at Peter in this moment. And he says these words. Peter, do you love me? You know, when I'm reading this now and I'm thinking about what all was being processed and the sense of all that Peter was carrying, I realize this deep response that came from Peter's heart came from a place of incredible brokenness. How many of you are more readily available to the purposes of God when you're in a very broken, broken place? Of course we are. It's in a place of brokenness where the anointing begins to spill out of us. It's a place of being unbroken, prideful, and arrogant where there is no anointing that comes out of who we are. That anointing oil comes when the vessel begins to be broken, cracked, addressed, and dealt with. So imagine the depth of emotion that Peter must have felt as he's processing all of this information. And then they ate breakfast on the beach at the table, in a sense. And that's the table. Sitting out here, sitting in your homes, you see the table. It's all about a focus of understanding. And today, the title is how important it is that we come broken to the table of the Lord. We need to learn to come broken to the table of the Lord. That's where he'll do his greatest, deepest work. If we are to become a hospitable people, we must understand that we all come to the table broken. We all come to the table broken. I, um, I thought about this from a couple of different standpoints just as I was spending some time this week praying. You know, uh, years ago I had an opportunity just to, to go to West Africa of all places and uh, in preparation to go, you know, there was... It was the first time I'd ever left the country, and uh, nervousness abound, and, and a lot of things happened. I, um, one of the things that had to take place was multiple vaccinations that I had to get in order to travel into West Africa. I had quite an experience. Um, some of you probably heard me share the experience with the lady. I found out I could get all those uh, injections for free at the health department, so I scheduled my appointment. I went, and uh, it was quite an embarrassing uh, ordeal because I walked into the room and I was being dainty and the lady had seen a number of patients I could tell she was larger than I was and could beat me up if we got into an argument so I was willing to do anything that she said and she said to me uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm getting my, my sleeve ready and she says pull down your pants 
very uh, strong, you know, I'm not sure where her accent was from, but it was clear, and I was just like, um, excuse me? And she said, this hip, this shot will go in the hip. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So, you know, I, I, I showed her a little bit of hip, you know, just enough. You don't, you don't need any more than that. I mean, right? And she said, put your hands on the table. So I put my hands on the table. I'm standing there with my hands on the, And I mean, she, she pulled everything down to my ankles, grabbed off that table. Hit me three times. I'm like, oh. And I, I, I was humiliated, embarrassed, and, and shot with these injections. And you know what I said to her? Thank you. <laughs> What else, what else do you say? I mean, it hurt, it, it hurt but I needed it. And, and so uh, one, of the, one of the injections she gave me was actually yellow fever. And, and that night I went to one of our basketball games. And I remember sitting in the bleachers. I was actually sitting right next to Mr. Howard. And, and I man, my eyes suddenly just, they were on fire. And I realized that that yellow fever shot was a living immunization, a living vaccine, and, and I got a little bit of yellow fever as a result of getting the injection. You know why that is the case? And I want you to hear it really carefully. Because of brief exposure of that which would normally kill you gives you the strength to conquer that which otherwise might try to take you to the grave. I want you to let that resonate just for a moment. A brief exposure to that which would otherwise kill you gives you the strength to conquer that which might very well have taken you to the grave. So the devil is likened to a serpent. And, and the scripture tells us this interesting uh, perspective of how the serpent, the enemy, the devil, Lucifer, he's trying to bite your life, trying to, to, uh, to take hold of your life, to inject this venom of sin into our lives to, to take us down and destroy us. But it's interesting because the Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus, who knew no sin, temporarily, but for a moment, having brief exposure to, became sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Now think about the translation of all of what I'm, uh, all, the integration of all of what I'm trying to say here. Because Jesus, in and of himself, exposed briefly to become sin. Who had never sinned, but he became sin. He didn't just die for your sin. He became your sin. Brief exposure to sin, becoming sin, actually became the cure for all humanity to be set free completely from all sin that would try and plague any of our lives. Come on. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise and look that way? That's great. He's a good, good God. So a brief exposure to that which would normally kill you gives you the strength to survive that which 
may have taken you to the grave and causes you then to become a cure, if we're following the example of Christ, causes you to become a cure for other people who might suffer something resembling to that which exists in your past. So covering up your past is to withhold from others your cure. You were created to be a cure born from your past into the lives of those you will meet in your future. We tend to look at our past totally wrong. All the pain, all the suffering, everything that almost killed you, knocked you to your knees, making you feel worthless. God wasn't trying to kill you. God was trying to make a cure out of you and wanting to equip you to take everything that happened to you, not hide it, but point to it and and say, it's the struggle that produced the strength that I have to give you so that you can be strong when you are facing something similar to what I have had to walk through myself. Your struggle produces your strength. That's why in your weakness, you're made strong. The framework and context of what I'm talking about here really starts to come together, doesn't it? In your weakness, you're made strong? How can that be? In my weakness, I'm made strong. It's exactly what I'm talking about. In that place of weakness where you abandon and let go of everything that you've tried to hold to and everything that you've tried to cling to, everything you've tried to use to justify Whatever it was that happened in your life, you let go of all of that and you suddenly just come to a place of weakness on purpose and the strength of God floods your soul and you're able to rise above every accusation the enemy would ever try to bring against you. We are broken people in the hands of a loving God. We are broken people in the hands of a loving God. Which brings us back to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah gets the word. It's interesting, Tracy and I were listening to somebody recently having this conversation. It's like the, the attitude in, uh, in today's Western world church is do what you're supposed to do, honor the Lord, and find great success. And, um, and when you look at Scripture, it's like Jeremiah, Isaiah, over and over and over, all these great men and women of God in Scripture, like so many of them, they never saw anything come to pass, even out of their own obedience. It would be generations after before God would redeem or restore. I mean, they didn't see great successful results. So by all practical worldly standards, they were a total success. They didn't see revival happen as a result of their obedience. And then there's this guy named Jonah. And like God promises him revival, and he doesn't even want it. He runs. He goes the other way. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. We're about to have a breakout here. And Jonah runs. He disobeys. And you know the story. He's on the boat. He gets swallowed by the whale. And that's the text we read. And let's go back to it, starting Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Do you hear the hope in the place of despair? The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought 
up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So I want to make the statement, and after I make the statement, I'd like the worship team to come. I want you to hear the statement without any, anything distracting at all. God was sending Jonah to deal with the disobedience of Nineveh. Had Jonah simply gone, he would have simply obeyed. But he didn't initially go. He first disobeyed before he obeyed. We got that? Okay, worship team, if you'll come. Let's just kind of address this together a little bit. God was sending Jonah to go and deal with an issue of disobedience. And Jonah disobeyed. Jonah was briefly touched by this disobedience never losing the call of God on his life to go and address the issue in Nineveh because God was actually making a strategic cure out of him for the spirit of disobedience that existed in the capital city of paganism and because of the deep sense of drawing to the purposes of God and crying out to what God might want to do in his life out of complete and total despair. He was completely available saying, oh God, I am in this place and the waters have closed over me, but my prayer comes before you and suddenly God redeems him out of that place of disobedience and Jonah, I submit to you, is in an entirely different attitude of complete trust and total faith that God is able to turn any situation around as he went into that capital city of Nineveh of paganism and declared that God had a plan and that city turned in one day once that man of God came into alignment with his assignment the capital city of paganism turned in one single day sudden revival broke out in amazing ways in one day the problem in his world was not the abundance of sin that existed in Nineveh the problem in his world was the absence of righteous response to God in his own heart and in his own disobedience. God was replenishing, restoring, and establishing his own righteous response to God that became a stronger response when he came out of that whale and he walked into that place. And I want to say to you, stop complaining about all the darkness in the world around you. Stop complaining about all the problems that exist in the world around you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. The problem is not the abundance of darkness that exists in the world. The problem is the absence of light. Will you get in alignment with your assignment? Shake off a spirit of shame. Rise up out of disobedience and allow God to do something deep within your life to cause you to be a strategic cure for everybody that you come in contact with for the rest of your days. Come on, let's stand. I just feel the presence of God in a profound and significant way.
I want more. I want more. We want more. More of what it is to experience and encounter you, O oh God. Forgive us where we've allowed our own attitudes to hold us out of the presence of God because we didn't step up with confidence to believe your word that you've separated from us. As far as the east is from the west, our past, our iniquity, our sin, it's, a, it's been allowed to have a sense of entanglement because we've not completely broken free from it. But today, in the name of Jesus, we serve notice. All disqualification is broken. We are the Wikipedia church. We are the average ordinary people who are hungry for more of what God desires to do in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own lives, in our own neighborhood, in our own workplace. Three things I just want to ask of you. First, whether you're online, whether you're in this room, You're online, you're in a, just a few people in a room perhaps, but I, I want you to, all of us, this between us and God, we just respond to him. If you sense today, whatever the root of it is, it could be a spirit of comparison, could be issues of your past, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you sense today God is breaking shame off of your life, I want you to put your hands just like this, we just receive we just receive shame being broken off of our lives. I thank you, Lord. All of a sudden, our Heavenly Father just reaches down, draws our affection deeper into the purposes of God, helping us to realize that which touched us that didn't kill us actually caused us to become a strategic cure for the people around us, and we refuse to allow shame to cause us in any way not to keep in step with the Spirit. We will walk in the Spirit, and we will keep in step with the Spirit. We'll have the stride of the Spirit. Let that spirit of shame right now be broken off of our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for it. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. The second thing I want to ask, if there's any area of your life and, and this is just direct. It's just, again, what I felt like the Lord was asking. You gotta, you gotta, how many of you heard what I preached today? How many of you heard it? You heard it. I want to ask you to be a doer. Apply it. If there's an area of disobedience in your life. Respond to him. And this is where you take your hands like this and just put them a little higher, just in surrender. This is a posture of surrender. Area of disobedience in your life. We just surrender it. Online, do it right now. I, I disagree right now. Things being broken off of us in this room. In Jesus' mighty name, as we respond to the Lord. Areas of disobedience. Areas where we didn't go to Nineveh. Areas where we got distracted. Areas where we allowed ourselves to get entangled. Whatever it is, but an area of disobedience. Lord, we just surrender it completely to you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, restore us. 
out of a place of disobedience in our lives that we might truly understand what it is to walk in the anointing and the power of the Spirit of God in complete and total freedom of the grace of God with a conscience that is clear before the Lord our God, not because of behaviors on our behalf, behalf, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. The most important decision is the third question I have to ask of you. And if you're here and you're not walking with Jesus, if you're online and you don't know him, you know, it kind of becomes this thing each week that I feel a real sense of deep conviction to make sure I mention. And I don't want it to be just a sense of deep conviction that I wanted to mention. I, I want it to be a reality of the eternal nature of God that Jesus came that we might have life. He died on a cross. He literally suffered and died so that we could live. He became sin so that we could become righteous. If you're here and you say, or if you're online, you say, you know, I'm just not where I need to be in my relationship with Christ. Maybe maybe you've never prayed to receive Christ. Maybe you have, but you just know. You're just not where you need to be in serving the Lord. Then I want to ask you, just respond to the Lord with a right hand of honesty before him like this. Father, we just received now in Jesus' mighty name the wisdom of God the revelation of Christ, awakening something deeper within our hearts. I thank you, Father, for hands raised, for hearts open, for decisions today to break a spirit of shame, to walk out of a sense of disobedience, and to understand it all happens through the doorway of the cross of Jesus Christ, where we, through your blood, come into the presence of our Heavenly Father with boldness, declaring, Lord God, your plans are the plans that will take us into a place of understanding our God-given purpose, design, and destiny. We accept today Jesus is Lord, Savior of the world who came that we might have life. Jesus died on behalf of our sins to awaken something of righteousness within us. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He came back from the dead. He's alive. He's the Savior of the world. If he's your Savior, why don't you give him a hand clap of praise and a shout to the Lord your God. He is worthy. He is worthy. As we worship the Lord, he's awakening something within us. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I want to ask you to devote these next five minutes or so. And let's declare he is our champion. Let's take these words and bring deeper application with an attitude of faith and an awakening of the Spirit just in our few moments of worship as a part of our congregational family assignment together as a church. I would invite you in these moments, this is a time you can find the giving stations in the back if you want to give, give online if you're online, receive communion at the tables right here in the center. Whatever you do in these few moments, I want you to do it from a deep attitude of worship out of response to that which God is revealing within who you are as a son or daughter of God. Come on, let's worship.